When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. As Elijah in on a Thursday, we are loaded up. Plenty of news to get into today with Nebraska football. Of course, Will Honus and uh, Jonathan Rutledge. Topics we can get into. Uh, we'll spend some time with Parker Gabriel in the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so. We'll Talk with uh, Parker uh, about uh, Nebraska's Newsday. Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, where do things sit with that? Uh, everything but uh, the announcement, right? And in hour two, Gary Barnett will be with us, Brandon Vogel, and then Danny Burke joins us, Burke's Best Bets. You can join us today at 466 466 Five eight six five numbers to get in. Can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com and uh, can find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence is where you can uh, follow Elijah. So uh, let's get to it. So doing the show from home today here at the Kitchen Island, uh, we have the, well, let's just say we're the leader in the clubhouse with wind chimes out back because... Why not? I didn't buy them, nor did I decorate the backyard. Uh, it, it is brutal out, right? Wind-wise, with the wind advisory that's in existence, had to make the executive decision to take down uh, one of Mama's wind chimes. Uh, if she's listening, she will stomp upstairs here. Uh, Elijah, she is now through, I think, 470 episodes of Cobra Kai today, now that she's had uh, a day to rest between nursing shifts and so the over under is 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 four fifty today, uh, four fifty for uh, Cobra Kai episodes. We may or may not get uh, rushed by a German Shepherd and an overweight Labradoodle. Uh, the fun could ensue. How are you back at the studio? Well, I, I need to make a confession. That's that I've watched like three episodes of Cobra Kai myself today. Um, okay. I, I I liked I liked the Karate Kid when I was little, and I thought that this show was going to be like goofy and for old people, and I wouldn't like it. And I've watched it, and it's like it's got cheesy acting, but it just feels like the '80s again because that's like the '80s movies all had was like their cheesy acting. It's beautiful. It's a great show. I'm through two whole seasons now. Okay, see, I I have I saw the first couple and I didn't pursue. Not that I disliked it, but with with Johnny and dude, he was the monster of all villains uh, when it comes to '80s movies, and and just he was the 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 blonde jerk. In, in the Karate Kid movie, he was the a-hole in Back to School uh, with Rodney Dangerfield on the chip on the swim team, I think, or Chaz or whatever the hell his name was. And, and then he was uh, the boyfriend 
in uh, National Lampoon's European vacation mm. who was, uh, you know, telling Clark that he liked his daughter thin, not fat. He didn't want her to go to France. So real sensitive dude. And, and we revisit the 80s with Cobra Kai. So uh, I'm at the part where I just sat down uh, this afternoon and, and caught uh, the uh, – Johnny uh, trying to, to get one of the students to get out of his chair because he had a spinal injury and he was dangling a, a nudie magazine in front of him with a fishing pole. That was class coaching right there, Elijah. <laughs> I don't think I've gotten that far yet. Well, I just spoiler spoilers, alert. Spoilers. <laughs> right. Uh, when we talk about karate, there are lots of kicks, right? And as a Nebraska fan, you felt many, many kicks in different parts of the body with special teams. Let's start there. And uh, Nebraska and Jonathan Rutledge uh, moving on from one another. You uh, had Rutledge hired last winter to oversee Nebraska's special teams, but it was in an off-the-field role, and he was let go by Coach Frost. That was uh, told to Hale Varsity, also the World Herald, and the Athletic. So, listen, Rutledge was making 150 thousand dollars a year he was a a senior special teams analyst and it wasn't all bad but it wasn't great I feel bad that that Daniel Cherney uh, was injured and and lost because Nebraska's punting was not good Nebraska's kickoff coverage uh, was not great the kickoffs in general were were very rough and Rutledge at least got Nebraska uh Connor Culp, right, the all-Big Ten kicker from LSU. We'll see with Cherney and, and his injury recovery. I think that guy can, can be a weapon for Nebraska next year as a punter. But just in reading some of the quotes here from some of the different outlets, you, you have Rutledge said he and Frost's philosophies didn't quite align. Our friend Mitch Sherman uh, had a, a Twitter posting uh, a little bit earlier today, uh, just kind of referencing that, listen, you know, Coach Frost is a good man. He hopes things can get turned around quickly for Nebraska football. But this is a, a tipping point. This is a tipping point higher for the direction of the program. And you can say, Schmidt, you're overreacting to it. I don't think so because Nebraska has been beaten too many times in too many games over the last three years with special teams play. You had Coach DeWitt that moved on to North Carolina. Uh, Nebraska's special teams have, have not been good since 2014, uh, and, and they were they were great. And Nebraska is, is what? Nebraska is going to be a, a, a defensive football team next year with Will Honus, and we'll get to Will in a moment. Uh, coming back, you, you right now are, are loaded up with uh, potentially 16 of your top 20 defenders back next season Nate waiting on Stilly's announcement to see if he returns for a sixth season for Nebraska football but you're going to be a defense first football team uh, next year and uh, you can you can win that way in the Big Ten but you need that phase of special teams to partner with your defense and let's just call it like it is the offense is absolutely a wild card and what we do know about the special teams is is this. They were 13th in the Big Ten 
when it came to starting field position. They were number 12 in net punting, so you have a longer field to drive and a shorter field to defend on both sides of the football. Uh, Return yardage, third worst in the conference. And who can forget these two uh, YouTube classics, right? One one fake punt is bad enough that, that Illinois' kicker uh, pulled off that will live in infamy on Twitter forever. And then Rutgers said, hold my beer. Let's, let's do this again. Uh, Nebraska's special teams really honestly helped win the Purdue game for them with the, the blocked punt. And they were solid with, with field goal kicking that Saturday in West Lafayette. But overall, Nebraska has cost themselves games after game after game with special teams. And this isn't all on Rutledge. I mean, part of his comment to Mitch Sherman was it's a little hard to, to, to coach and and pull off this special teams co- analyst job when you can't physically coach on the field. And and I don't disagree with him. And I don't disagree uh, with with his take on that. Imagine trying to be in charge of something when you can't physically be there to oversee it or execute what you want. And Elijah, I want you to jump in here. It just seems like the the lines of communication got blurred. And, and, you know, you had Rutledge and special teams thrown under the bus by Scott Frost in, in a post game. And, and that was, you know, the Rutgers game, which Nebraska came back and won. But it was uh, something to the effect of, you know, we, we can't uh, – it was a bad mistake. It, it, it shouldn't and can't happen. That was uh, in response to the question about why, why are you guys kicking to Crookshank? He's, he's, he took it back to the house and took momentum away. You know, and, and, and Frost is like, you know what, the, the hope was to kick away from him, to sky kick it, because, you know, that's a whole other thing is kickoffs, right? I mean, Nebraska rarely put the football in the end zone. They don't have a kickoff specialist. They don't have anyone, have anyone that can get it out of the end zone, which is just insane. But you are good at what you emphasize, and with the hire of a analyst role versus a, a special teams coach, and listen, Dawson's been a special teams coordinator before. So the guy's quite capable and probably quite good at that. I mean, it sucks juggling two hats, but that's a lot of times what you do. Uh, it'd be really beneficial for college football staffs to get 11 full-time coaches. They're stuck with 10. So right now, you need to invest in this. You made a hire last year. And it's not that Rutledge didn't do well uh, when he was at Auburn. It's not that he didn't bring some some help to Nebraska. The performance wasn't there. And in Rutledge's defense, he wasn't able to do all of what he probably wanted to or could have done had he been a full-time assistant coach where he can be on the field. You got to emphasize the importance of this, and you got to either assign someone or if there's a staff opening, and there could be staff openings on Nebraska, you need to go bring in a special teams guy or look at what you have, Elijah, and a guy like Dawson, who's done it and done it pretty well before in his career. I hope Nebraska, if they make a hire, if a spot's open, I hope they consider the seriousness of it, and, and I think they will. But it's been, quite honestly, in three years at Nebraska, an afterthought, at least uh, from an important standpoint. And it's going to be vitally important next year if Nebraska wants to get to a bowl game. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people 
at home can empathize with uh, with Rutledge with their Zoom meetings they've been dealing with, with having to <laughs> deal with all their meetings at home. And, and it's it's so much more difficult whenever it's not hands-on, whenever you're not there. It's hard to actually get the changes implemented that you want to get changed. The, the communication, I get that 100%. But at the end of the day, the special teams wasn't good enough this year. Uh, we talked about that a little bit yesterday when we talked about the three phases of the game, the defense we're expecting to be even better next year. Uh, and, and now you got to see a, a jump from the special teams because – uh, you would think after last year you thought, okay, we need some overhaul of the special teams and you, you get an analyst and you think, well, maybe that's all they need. Maybe they just need an analyst. And if, if this season showed us anything, it's that they need somebody down on the field working with the special teams. Uh, and I think getting that coach and just having somebody to work hands-on with the special teams next year uh, can only mean improvement because, I mean, we said last year there's nowhere to go but up, but this year there's still a lot of room upward uh, for that special teams unit to grow. No, you're absolutely right. And Nebraska just settled, right? They, and that's not a knock on Rutledge at all. But from an importance higher, you didn't, you didn't either attach it to with some more money. to. And again, I'm using Dawson as an example because he's been a coordinator. I've said that 40 times this segment, but you had one on staff is my point, okay? And it was just, it was just an afterthought, right? That's just how it felt. So you need to, uh, to, to make this uh, and get this right with whoever you delegate it to or, or if there's a staff opening, you got to go get somebody that can, can wear a couple of hats and has been successful at it. So let us dive into the name game real quick of, of special teams gurus that are out there. And listen, uh, I don't know that there's an opening right now on Nebraska's staff. Time will tell with that here for the 2021 season. And, and I don't know if if the guy would make a move laterally within the, the division. But just doing some math on LeVar Woods at Iowa, Iowa's special teams with kickoff returns, punt returns, coverage, and getting the ball kicked out of the end zone. And oh, yeah, by the way, drilling field goals at the buzzer, not just on Black Friday, but uh, against uh, some some pretty high-profile teams. Iowa has been killer, uh, and LeVar Woods has been tremendous, and he's been on that staff for quite a while. And, and he was a, a GA from 08 to 11, and then he was the linebackers coach from 2012 through 2014. And then he went from, from linebackers coach to tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. So when I look at, at LeVar Woods, uh, he was able to, to recruit Keegan Johnson. He has recruited the state of Nebraska before, specifically the Metro. Uh, I would say that he probably had his hands in some of the rural Nebraska kids uh, that ended up over in Iowa. You have uh, Epinesa, the, the stud defensive lineman. He was the lead recruiter on Epinesa. I'm sure that there's some sort of connection from an Iowa standpoint uh, with uh, Chin because of Chin's time at Iowa. And there are a lot worse programs you can take from than Iowa. And you got to ask yourself, well, why the hell come to Nebraska if you're in Iowa? Well, is it a bleep show at Iowa with – and they won a lot of ball games this year, so they clearly were, were fine on the field. But what's the, 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 the mileage like with, with Coach Ferentz and, and how much longer is he going to be there? 
do you and listen? This is all speculation on my part. If you're Woods, do you look to to make a jump, maybe make some more money, and uh, and and be a big time difference maker with with a place you're familiar with? The Ricky uh, Brumfield, also a name that is uh, pretty high level. Uh, those are those are two non-Nebraska tie names, two names that you you know and you hear a lot about when it comes to special teams. Uh, is Bill Bush that was uh, a, a former uh, Nebraska assistant was here under Callahan, was really uh, high level uh, when he was at Utah with Urban Meyer, uh, was with Ash at uh, Rutgers, was at Wisconsin before that. So Bush has been a lot of spots, but Bush has recruited some some major league talent, Prince of Mukamara, Alex Smith to Utah, uh, and was the lead man to get Joe Burrow out of Ohio State down to LSU. So Bill Bush has coached outside linebackers. He's coached safeties. He's been a special teams guru. Carlos Polk was a longtime NFL guy, uh, Husker uh, Hall of Famer and an All-American. It's been great in the NFL for special teams. He's been out of work uh, with the staff change a year ago in Dallas. So those are two Huskers to think of. We'll talk with Parker Gabriel next to Tail Varsity on a Thursday. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Thanks for hanging out. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Elijah, where are we at, Cowboy? Do we have Parker Gabriel? Uh, Not yet. I'm still working on it. That hurts. It's not like Parker's not been busy or anything. So we'll hope to hear from Parker Gabriel. That would be awesome. That would be outstanding. If not, we can talk to him Friday. But uh, just look at the uh, the week that's been for uh, for Nebraska football. Just let's let's run it down. And if you okay, we got him. That makes me happy. Let's say hi to Parker Gabriel, Lincoln Journal star at Husker Extra PG is where we find him. Parker, it's been a while, brother. Happy New Year. What's up? Yeah, happy New Year to you too, Schmitty. Uh, nah, it's been a busy enough week, I think. <laughs> say, yeah, I was going to say. So get your crystal ball out, all right? Rub the beard and say blank happens Friday. What happens tomorrow? <laughs> oh, I'd be perfectly happy with nothing. But uh, I don't know. Par- we'll Parker goes there's... to the bar. That's what happens tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that would be that'd be solid. Uh uh, Parker has a nice, quiet evening, but uh, in absence of that, I think, I mean, one thing that you just are sort of waiting for at, at you know, could be any time really is Ben Stilley's the last of the seniors to, to make a decision on, or scholarship seniors, I should say, on whether he's coming back or not. So with the team getting back together, um, you know, loosely, um, guys starting to filter back to campus and, and you know, all that, um, that could be something that happens tomorrow. Um, you, you never know. Um, there's, there's more, you know, they're probably going to add another player at some point. They're going to lose more players at some point. It's just the nature of the beast in the off season. So, um, we will see, but still he's, that's the one we know is coming at some point, his decision on whether to come back. Now. How surprised were you about Honus's announcement and dismuke 
as well as uh, Deontay Williams. Did you have a pretty good feel that they may lean to come back? Because I think that, and I think you know, you know this too. You know, Nebraska could, is as they work their through their offensive issues. Nebraska could could be uh, pretty forceful defensively. They were they were good. They were reliable last year. They could take a monster step forward with these guys returning. Yeah, I think that's right. I think over the last couple of weeks had a, a pretty good inclination maybe that they were leaning toward coming back. You never know uh, until those decisions are made for sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sort of a tough call for each of them in their own right. I mean, they're all obviously getting older and all of that, but obviously sifted through their options and thought mm-hmm. that coming back was uh, – was the right move and now you know as it stands you've got eight starters back and stilly if he were to you know follow suit would be nine uh and like you say i mean that's going to be an old defense an old experienced uh, defense and um it, it's got a chance to be the, the strong point on on nebraska's roster in 2021 parker gabriel's with us lincoln journal star at husker extra pgs where you find him on twitter Let's dive into to Jonathan Rutledge uh, parting ways with Nebraska and Coach Frost. How tough a gig do you think he had trying to manage this unit and needing it to be better than it was, yet you, you can't physically go hands-on with it? Was it, a, was it a fair fight, I guess? Yeah, I think that was, that was going to be – I mean, that was what sort of was the – that was going to be the hardest part about it. Uh, from the start was just that you you know that's an analyst job and you can't uh, coach uh, hands on, um, but the the that was what they were hoping would work uh, and it didn't right I mean you saw it on the field it just didn't work uh, as well as as they wanted it to they didn't get the kind of production um, that they wanted to and so. Um, you know, you see the change again. So the question will be interesting is, is what, you know, how do they structure that uh, going forward? Because, you know, there's no time where the importance of special teams is more clear than when you're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Parker Gabriel's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Parker, I know this news is only a few hours old, so I don't expect you to have any inside information, but where do you think the Huskers do go here? Is it another analyst? Uh, do they go for a, a full-time coach, or do you think maybe somebody from the current staff gets uh, the upgrade to a uh, special teams coordinator? I mean, we, we kind of saw that the uh, the whole analyst thing didn't really work out this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could if they, if there was somebody that they thought would be a better fit in that analyst role, um, you know, they could go back to that well. Um, obviously, you have a maximum of 10 full-time assistant coaches, and so if you were going to bring in somebody new um, to, to coach the special teams, uh, there would have to be an opening on the staff. Currently, there's not. Uh, so, you know, that would be a um, – that, that, that's obviously a possibility, but there's, there would have to be – that would be a domino effect where there would have to be space open on the staff, and then you find someone – um, or, you know, as you mentioned, you could do it where maybe, you know, you restructure the current guys on your staff uh, and, you know, you put somebody in charge of special teams and you shift duties around. I don't – honestly, you know, I don't know what direction it's going to go at this point. Um, there's pluses and minuses to each of those uh, setups. Um, you know, you have to have an assistant coach that you think is going to be – good at handling those duties and uh, wants to handle them and, and, ha- and can put that sort of time into it. Uh, if you're going to 
you know, change around responsibilities or put somebody, you know, on it full time from the current staff. And then, you know, you obviously got to make a hard choice or, or, you know, there has to be a staff opening in order to, to do it that way where you're hiring someone from the outside. Now, who knows? I mean, you know, an hour from now or a day from now or a week from now, um, somebody could get a job and leave on their own and then you've got no, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. So, um, obviously to be determined on that front, but there are several different ways that it could proceed from here. Parker Gabriel's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Parker, I, I look at Iowa and Lavar Woods is, is a guy that, that I've kind of been intrigued by with uh, not only his experience with linebackers and tight ends, but how well his special teams units performed. Uh, you, you have a local name in Bill Bush that has been around the college football landscape, recruited at a high level, is coached uh, secondary and, and linebackers and also um, is is a guy that you know was um, is moving on from LSU so those, those are two names out there but when it comes to to staff I mean you have a guy like like Dawson and and Rude that are two names that both those guys have kind of done work before in their career with special teams uh, but it'd just be easier to to add an 11th coaching spot for a lot of staffs. I know the NCAA hasn't, hasn't let that happen, but if you were to circle a couple of candidates who are on staff now to pick up that responsibility, where would you go? Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're in, on the right track there. I mean, mm-hmm. typically you look for, um, you know, guys that have uh, smaller rooms. You know, that's not always the way it goes, but um, that is, you know, if you look around the, the country at staffs that have uh, assistant coaches who have a position group, and, uh, you know, a lot of times that's, like you say, you know, if a guy's coaching um, part of a linebacker group or another part of a linebacker group, uh, tight end sometimes is in that conversation. Um, you know, some staffs, Nebraska has Travis Fisher coaching the entire secondary, obviously. Some have safeties and corners or um, defensive, you know, nickels kind of, and so – there's a there's several guys who that could be. Obviously, there's a bunch of guys that have at least some experience coaching special teams. Um, you know, I last year um, when they brought Mike Dawson back, you know, special teams wasn't part of his his job responsibility. I don't know. I've never asked him if that you know if if that was part of the conversation at all when he was coming back or not. Um, but yeah, I think I mean I think you tend to look toward uh, the defensive side of the ball um, in that in that regard, just with the way Nebraska's numbers are structured currently. Um, and then you know Eric Nander has a lot of responsibility in terms of play calling on defense and all of that. Um, doesn't have a specified position, so you know giving him or I mean the other some some programs the head coach oversees special teams right we've seen that at nebraska uh at times in the past and so um you know the two guys who don't have exact positional responsibilities are the two play callers frost and, and eric Schnander. so um like i say there's all sorts of options if it's hiring somebody from outside if it's an analyst to help a position coach if it's you know however you want to do it or if it's shuffling responsibilities around about who exactly is coaching what on the staff that is currently comprised. Parker Gabriel's with us. A couple minutes left here. Hail Varsity Radio at Husker Extra PG is where you find him on Twitter. Earlier in the week, you got the, the Wandale news as he is off. Do you have a lane? Is he 
Science Field delivered to Kentucky, or do you think that this Purdue thing that popped up yesterday has got some legs to it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those were, those those obviously were two of the teams that came down eventually to Kentucky and and Nebraska. But um, Purdue's always been a program that he's held in high regard and did through his recruitment because of uh, Jeff Brom and because he's close friends with Rondell Moore, obviously who who had a big uh, impact in his time at Purdue and Brom. You know, was was with the Louisville connection, and that's where. You know, Wando's obviously from Kentucky, and he trained at that gym in, in Louisville and all that. And so, I don't think you can totally count it out. I do. I would. I don't. I haven't been asking much since uh, he left, but I. You've been busy. I guess my gut would say that Kentucky would still be the favorite. But you know, the other thing that happens with a guy like Wandale, who you know, players with that level of production, and they hit the portal sometimes, but not all that often. And so. The other thing is, I mean, you don't know who else has jumped into the conversation. I mean, and I'm I, just just literally a random example, but like, you know, if if Nick Saban called you up when you if you thought you were going to Kentucky and Nick Saban called you up and said, hey, why don't you at least think about Alabama? I mean, that might that might change what you were thinking. <laughs> now, obviously, in the reasons that Wanda outlined, like, you know, his mom and being close to her is part of that equation, and so. I just still think that the most likely scenario is that he ends up uh, at Kentucky, but uh, you never know. I mean, we'll just, we'll see what happens. Parker, uh, it's been good to get caught up with you. We'll do this uh, again soon, and thanks for uh, your insight today, man. You bet. Have a good week. All right, there he is. Parker Gabriel needs some downtime. Bless his heart. Uh, a Friday of, of no news would be good for him. I'll take more news on Friday. We'll dive into just what can happen with Urban Meyer, the NFL, and Jacksonville when that eventually gets announced. Gary Barnett's coming up here in 20 minutes. Brandon Vogel, Pride of Chicago. Danny Burke, Burke's Best Bets. He'll preview your NFL playoff weekend. This is Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Good stuff from Parker Gabriel. That'll get posted on the On Demand section, ESPNLincoln.com. Can also uh, sign up, get the podcast going with Hale Varsity Radio six days a week. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And it's uh, stationed on the Herdant uh, Media Network, uh, HaleVarsity.com as well. Good stuff and just a plethora of uh, sports for sure, but also uh, pop culture, entertainment, really awesome stuff. And then, of course, the on-demand uh, with ESPNLincoln.com. Uh, okay, let's uh, go to the phones. <laughs> uh, I get the the bat alert, the, the the text from Elijah. John is with us on Hale Varsity. John, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for having me remotely here. Hey, I got the perfect guy for the special team solution. Okay, Doug Coleman. He's okay, Doug. Doug gotcha. In the NFL for fifteen years, he's coaching. He's an assistant special teams guy with the Browns. Right now, he has connections in Texas because he was with Houston for quite a while. Now he's in Cleveland, and he's from the East Coast 
jersey. He would be so perfect. You're saying go, go, mine. Doug Coleman was a phenomenal linebacker, number 46. All he did was make tackles. All he did was make plays, and then was uh, in the NFL for a number of years. I love Doug Coleman. I like Carlos Polk. I, I like uh, Bill Bush. I, I really like LeVar Woods from Iowa. Uh, Bob uh, Leshesky from, from Illinois is a name. That's, of course, if something opens up. Here's my question to you, John. The guys, it's not that a guy like Coleman or, or Carlos could not come and do great work in college. They would coach at a phenomenal level. The guys in the NFL really want to come back and jerk with recruiting and the, the day and age that is now portal hell. Once you go to the NFL, I think you're, 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 you're dealing with professionals. You're dealing with guys that have egos, obviously, but you don't have to recruit them. It, it's a job for them. Yeah, I, you make a very, very good point, and I think something that the NCAA has to address because I don't think it's helping the game at that level. But, I, you know, if anybody's going to do it, that guy, that guy bleeds Husker Red. I know he's, he's put his name in the hat on occasion here in the last 15 years, so I, I, I'd love to see him come back. Great guy. John, awesome stuff. Thanks for the phone call. You know, Doug Coleman should have been on my list of names, and John saved me by bringing it up. No, Doug Coleman's phenomenal. Best dude, really awesome ball player, and was uh, is high level in the NFL. So let's go to the NFL, and uh, we are waiting on the Urban Meyer official announcement. Sources say that the Jags are in advanced talks with Urban. So another meeting again today as they uh, engage in advanced talks. That is from Shefty at ESPN. Source said the situation is trending toward a deal being completed, and there's been regular communication Listen, um, how's Urban Meyer going to deal with losing more games in season one than he's lost in his career in college? Just if you're keeping track, the last seven years at Ohio State, he was 83-9. and nine. Uh, He was 65-15 and 15 at Florida. Uh, he was good at Bowling Green. He had a 10 or 11 win season there. He went undefeated at Utah. He'll, uh, he'll make the jump. He'll have a number of draft picks. He can put his staff together. He'll be able to get uh, Sunshine, the quarterback, which is nice. Uh, in, in all honesty, uh, Trevor Lawrence, let me ask you this, Elijah. Do you go hire Tony Elliott as your offensive coordinator? Do you bring him from Clemson? Down to Jacksonville. That's a name I saw uh, out on Twitter that, that Urban may be trying to secure. Not only do you uh, get Trevor Lawrence's offensive coordinator with you for the NFL, but you also kind of stick it to Clemson, you know, that kind of handed it to you while you were at Ohio State. I mean, that could be really intriguing. I, I wanted to ask uh, the question uh, to you, because I think you might remember a little better, but Jimmy Johnson down in, uh, down in Dallas, down in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you see this 
this going similar to that with Urban Meyer? I mean, he, he's got a knowledge of the college game. He's been an analyst of college football for the past couple of years since he left Ohio State. I mean, does this just put him in a, a better spot to be able to go draft the guys he wants this year and next year Cause just because he knows the college game better than, I mean, I'd say most of the other uh, head coach in the NFL, if not every head coach in the NFL, just because it was his job to follow it. Well, I'll say this, and that's a hell of a question with Jimmy Johnson. And, I mean, people in Dallas and Cowboy fans all over the world lost their mind, right, when Tom Landry was asked to leave, Tex Schramm gone, and then Jerry bought the Cowboys, and and they went 1-15, in and they had the number one pick, and they drafted Aikman, and guess what? Then they added Irvin. And then they added Emmett, and then they had Stebnoski, and then they had Lot. I mean, they, 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 they were in, in two and a. I mean, they were incredible with the offensive line that Jimmy Johnson put together. Russ down to to Miami. Here's the difference offensively, and, and Urban Meyer's brilliant on offense. And there is more spread slash air raid elements in the NFL. You just see it right with offense. So it's not going to be that foreign compared to like when, when Spurrier, and it was fun and gun, so it wasn't option football per se or zone read football even. I'll say this. Jimmy Johnson, when he was at, at the U, ran a pro-style offense, right, with Vinny, uh, Testaverde, and, and that was an easier transition for them, for him to go to the NFL because everyone was running I-formation, pro-style, drop-back style, a quarterback so I didn't think it was that big of a, a jump. What they were doing in college at Miami is the same thing you could do in Dallas. And then when you get Emmett Smith in the late first round in 1990, it works out well with that offensive line and Moose Johnson blocking for him. And, of course, uh, the pride of Brady, Nebraska, tied in for you. So I uh, – Novacek, and, you know, I don't think Urban will have a problem. I think that's a big ask for him to replicate – or even sniff what Jimmy Johnson did. But if anyone thinks he can do it, just ask him. It's uh, it's Urban Meyer. Well, but then <laughs> that, that ego's going to have its own room at the, uh, the Sheridan Hotel, I think. Got about a minute left in this segment, but I, I think that kind of illustrates the point about going to get in Clemson's offensive corner is that Jimmy Johnson had this pro-style offense he could bring in. Urban doesn't necessarily. The, the NFL offense is moving a little more spread, a little more fast pace, but should he just bring in an NFL offense coordinator who knows how the, the offenses run in the NFL? Do you bring in an NFL guy, or do you go with, you have the number one pick overall, do you pair it, so you kind of hit the ground running with elements of what could work, and, and listen, Clemson's offense is you could run it in the NFL, right? It's, it's not quarterback run heavy, per se, and it's throw the football around. So it, it, it would work. Or at least you could go that route from a comfort level. We'll wind down hour one. Sale Varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Good stuff from Parker Gabriel this hour. Gary Barnett and Brandon Vogel. On the way, and uh, Danny Burke, Burke Best Bets. Love that take from Elijah. Could could uh, Jimmy Johnson, i.e. Urban Meyer, be Jimmy Johnson 2.0 in the NFL once things get shaken out in Jacksonville? 
That's that's a hell of a thought, and you've got a bunch of picks just like Jimmy did. No, now Elijah, since you're young and uh, vibrant, and you just again reference the '80s thanks to Cobra Kai. Uh, do you know how Jimmy Johnson in Dallas loaded up with all those picks? It was trading away one of the running backs. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. One of the, yeah, the Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker was the one. I, I, the, the only name that's coming to mind is Emmett Smith. I'm like, I know Emmett Smith was after that, though. Yeah. You want to piss off some Viking fans? And there's a lot of them in the media. I love them. <laughs> Schaaf and Christopherson and, and all the, and uh, who else? Um, anywho. You just, and my buddy Tom Gimelke. I mean, Tom, I mean, he's the biggest Viking fan I know. Anytime you get a pet or a or a, you just pimp them with say yeah you just throw the name Herschel out wherever you can <laughs> yeah Herschel Vikings got Herschel and gave away seven thousand picks that turned out to be <laughs> Emmett Smith and some Pro Bowl Hall of Fame linemen and yeah the, the, now Herschel the, did score on a kickoff return the first time he touched the ball for the Vikings and the thing is is you don't know what the Vikings were going to go do with those draft picks it's like. Given. Well, it ended up being really, really high-level picks. And Jimmy got to pick them. I mean, it was great, and he nailed it. I mean, the, the Cowboys' drafts were really good. And, you know, Landon Aikman wasn't shabby either. And they had to build around him. Um, well, I mean, what it kind of reminds me of is this is super recent, but yesterday's Nets trade where they sent away, like, what, four first-round picks coming in the, like, the coming years to, to get James Harden on a, what, a one-year contract uh, to the Nets. Who knows if he'll resign next year? Um, so could be the, a similar thing going on down in, uh, down in the NBA, down in Houston, where they now have, I mean, it's four draft picks spaced out over the next, like, six years or something like that, but still. We'll uh, talk to Bill Dolman tomorrow, the pride of Fairbury, on his birthday. Bill was a TV analyst for the Rockets for four years when uh, when Harden was there. And, yeah, I'm anxious to get Bill's take on just what can happen with the Rockets, where they go. And we'll see what type of mood Bill's in, if we can get some entertaining stories. Yeah, I knew the... uh... On the beard. I knew the Harden era was over as soon as I think it was the the Rockets TV guy before the game. They're doing pregame and said, "Oh, it looks like James Harden's at his pregame meal already because he just looks so chubby." <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Dude, you want to talk about the COVID fifty, not fifteen? What do you mean? Oh, he put on the weight, dude. You, th- you think that was from just like being the lockdown in COVID? Or you think that was him trying to get out of Houston? <laughs> I think it was both. I think he said, screw it. I've kind of adapted to this COVID life. People eat their feelings, especially when you're in the bubble. You're going to have a bunch of NBA dudes given the choice to go back to a bubble or a shark infested moat. They'll jump into the shark infested moat. They hated the bubble. Yeah, and I mean, also no I, women and no weed. As soon as you get out of the bubble, what's James Harden going to go do? Go, oh, maybe go, go, go visit the strip club. I heard they got some good wings. I, I <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the wings that that bring them in. Maybe it's just the the three dollar tall boys. I don't know. Hour two on the way.
Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Brandon Vogel coming up. We will check in with uh, Danny Burke, the pride of Chicago. He'll join us, and we welcome in the Hall of Fame coach with Colorado and Northwestern. And I also believe there's a, there's a Hall of Fame uh, with uh, Missouri football. We say hi to Gary Barnett. Coach, it's 55-mile-per-hour wind gusts here and blizzard warning on the horizon. Please uh, rub it in our face. What's your temperature like? Well, it's 73 here, Chris, and I'm getting an emergency nine in here. Uh, there's no wind, and uh, I haven't seen a cloud for two days. So, but other than that, we're, it's just okay. How is that emergency nine going? And, uh, I think I'm even right now, so uh, it's going okay. I'll take a hole off here, and and uh, I'll have to catch up on the last one. Well, that's nice of you. We could have uh, reconfigured. That's so we are no. we are talking live to Gary Barnett during his round. Well, this is a 500-yard par four. I don't want to play it anyway. Okay. Good enough answer. Good enough. So you are opting out of the... Yeah, I'm opting out, yes. Well, there's been a lot of news in, in Nebraska and a lot of college football to get to. What's your what's your takeaway with uh, the transfer of, of Wandale Robinson? You had a chance to watch him a little bit uh, while he was at Nebraska. He is off to possibly or likely Kentucky, but what's that like, or did you even have to experience it? Did you ever ever have your uh, best offensive player or perceived best offensive player leave your program on you? Uh, well, you know, when we ran into a little scandalous year in 04, 05, we had a couple guys leave, but not mm-hmm. really many. Uh, and we didn't have many guys ever leave. We didn't have them leave Northwestern, and we didn't have really many leave Colorado. But, you know, and it wasn't nearly uh, often and uh, prevalent as it is now. There wasn't the opportunity. There was no portal. So nobody, right. you know, nobody was had an out. And most parents uh, didn't want their son to leave. They wanted him to stick it out. And, you know, they made a commitment. And as long as as we had upheld our end of the commitment, then, you know, parents usually practice in most of those things. You know, Darnell Autry tried to transfer twice and uh, at Northwestern. And you know, it was the first time his, his dad just said, please don't, don't do this. And the second time, the players sort of talked him out of it. So it was, uh, it happens, and it's just part of football. And it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be a big part of football, I think, in the next two years, Chris, because a lot of student athletes are picking schools based on a virtual tour of the school and virtual meeting with teammates. They never have a chance to beat the players they're going to play with. Uh, they don't really get a chance to see, most of them anyway, see where they're going to play. And so it's they're going to get there in a year or this fall, and they're going to go, whoa, I don't think this is quite what I signed up for. 
and you're going to see a lot more guys going to portal. And all these coaches now are they're hiring guys to just recruit from the portal, and um, it, it's a completely different deal now. Nebraska was able to land uh, Marquis Step from USC, a kid that was going to go to Notre Dame that ended up at SC and um, had some some ankle issues. But man, when he played, he he played well. Did did he get on your radar at all? Did you do you remember him at, at SC? And if so, what'd you think? What was his name? Marquis Step, the running back. No, you know he wasn't. He wasn't on the radar. Uh, okay. for us. Well, he was uh, six six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. He's kind of the, the the thumper back for SC, but they didn't run it a lot this year. And I know you guys ended up having to uh, miss SC due to COVID this year. But I was just wondering. So let's get into special teams, Coach. And and we've talked a lot about special teams. Gary Barnett's with us. Nebraska parting ways today with uh, Jonathan Rutledge, Nebraska's special team analyst. And you can only have ten coaches on staff. So right now there are no openings on Nebraska's staff. We'll see if that remains to be seen. Uh, that said, uh, what would what would you have done? The position that that coaches are in now, would you look at an analyst to run special teams? That was very difficult in a couple of interviews I've read with Jonathan Rutledge. You can't physically coach. You got to coach the coaches. Or would you delegate it to a position group? Or as a head coach slash defensive coordinator, would you take it upon yourself? What's the best route? Because it's vitally important, and you know Nebraska's struggled with it the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, my philosophy is, you know, there's a couple of guys that, I, that agree with my philosophy out there. But I thought the head coach should run special teams. And then what I would do is I would assign various uh, coaches on my staff who didn't have necessarily an assignment, give them the responsibility of, uh, say, I gave Brian Cabral the, the punt return, and I gave someone else the punt. and But I I was the head coach of the special teams. And so uh, it did two things. One, when the head coach is involved with every special teams, let me tell you, you get everybody just pays a little more attention and the second thing is I gave coaches a chance for responsibility, and I could see how they would respond to it. Now, I think you would have to have the, some of the work of an analyst, but you, if you're going to turn it over to one of your guys, they, they need to do that work themselves, and there's time to do it. There is. There, there's, you know, they can do that. They can coach their position and still do a special, one special teams unit. And uh, what else it does, and, you know, no one really – believes me when I tell them this, but do you know that most of your assistant coaches do not know all the names of your players? That would make sense. When I say that, people go, you're kidding, I, and I swear it's true, you know, and so one of the things it does, it gets those position coaches around other guys uh, on your team that play other positions, and so um, there was a method to my madness. But it was it was very successful. I felt as we went through it. Uh, now the press didn't like it because they always wanted to when something wrong went, went wrong with the special teams. They wanted me to blame them to blame that person. And since I was the guy, I I and, took the blame. 
So Coach, they you, wanted me to give it to someone else. <laughs> you there? Hello? Chris, we got you. Chris, we lost you for a second. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you lost me. That's great. I interrupted you, Coach. So did everybody hear what he said but me? <laughs> yeah. Gary Barnett's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, with, with that, uh, that ability to be, what was your personality I like? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I said, what was your personality like, Coach, with other coaches and with the players? Were you just kind of matter of fact? Were you intense? Were you soft-spoken? How, how did you command not only your kids but your staff? I was pretty matter of fact. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I always wanted to give my coaches as much freedom as I could give them and, and then react. To how they did, and try to always want to try to make them better coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, sometimes it got to where a guy just wouldn't make himself better, and, but not very often. Um, and I always kept everybody really involved. So when we did anything as a staff, I included everybody around graduate assistants, analysts, secretary, whatever. I always included everybody. So they sort of have a feel. It wasn't it wasn't my team. It was their team and their group of guys. And so uh, that was my philosophy around it. Coach, how do you, in, in an offseason like this, Nebraska's got 10 spots for their assistant coaches. Uh, they now let their special teams analysts go. So now it kind of thinks, oh, well, you maybe you need a special teams coordinator. Maybe you're elevating somebody. But just uh, generally as a head coach, whenever you're going through this time, how do you evaluate the, the work that your assistant coaches did during the season? Was that something you did throughout the season and you kind of kept notes as the season went on? Or, or did you sit down at the end of the season and, and look at each coach uh, one by one and, and decide what changes you needed to make if there were any changes to make? You know, if I felt it was necessary, I always met with the coaches uh, after the season and before the season. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's not hard to know who's doing their job and who isn't. And it's not hard to know who, who's got a group of guys that maybe may not be as good as we'd like them to be and that they have a tough job. Uh, you're uh, Let me tell you, you're together so much. And so your communication and your dealings with your coaches have to be so upfront and honest and so that everybody always knows where they stand. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, what a switch gears. Uh, thoughts on Monday, uh, Bama, uh, and from a historical perspective, uh, where would you put that, that Bama team? Well, it's, it's sort of hard, I think, to – say for sure, but there certainly was nobody close to them this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, what I liked about that team, I love their talent, of course, but I loved how close they were, how they had guys not go to the NFL and stay in play, how they didn't have anybody opt out, how they didn't lose anybody to COVID. That, to me, was was a real team. That was as good as it gets right there. And they were being coached by the guy who's probably going to go down as the best college football coach ever. Um, they had a lot of things going for it with talent, but they did it all. They they did everything. And 
you know, to score every quarter but two quarters for the whole year. I mean, they were just a complete football team, and there wasn't anybody really close to them. So it, it's hard not to put – I know you want to put an asterisk next to it because of the coronavirus, but it's hard not to label them the best team that you've seen and that's been out there for 10 or 20 years. It, they they were incredible. Uh, Gary Barnett's with us. Coach, we'll let you get on and, and play – uh, the, the next hole, but I got one more question, and it's Urban Meyer in Jacksonville as talks are continuing. It sounds like it's going to happen. And uh, what do you think of, of the jump to the NFL for Urban? And when it comes to uh, the offensive side of things, is is going after Tony Elliott-wise, the, the OC at Clemson, to go work with Trevor uh, in the NFL. That, that's that been speculated about. How do things shake out down in Jayville for for Urban if this thing gets signed and delivered? Well, I think it will get signed and delivered. And secondly, I think if you're, if you're ever going to go in the NFL, that's the perfect place to go because, first of all, you get 11 draft picks this year. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you get, the, you get the number one draft pick, which means you pick your quarterback and you now start creating your culture and you have total control. That's the only. That's the hardest part about a college coach going into the NFL is they don't have nearly the control that they have in college. And Urban's a control freak. We all are control freaks. And, but he's got a chance now to run a, a collegiate organization and operation from the, from the standpoint of control in the NFL. And uh, he's, you know, he's not going to get. 10 or 11 number one draft choices like he might have at Ohio State. He's only going to get one, but uh, uh, it's okay. So I I think it's a perfect time for him to go in there. He's not going to have to worry about grades and and transfer portals and all that sort of stuff. I think getting Tony Elliott's a great idea if he can do it because he's going to get Trevor, I'm sure. And it's interesting to see if he takes Trevor or or, uh, uh, Justin so, uh, and I'm sure he's going to take Trevor. I just think he's the number one guy. I actually think Zach Wilson's the number two guy. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a perfect time for him. Last thought. Why did you think Jimmy Johnson would work? And Elijah had a great point last hour of, you know, Jimmy Johnson loading up with draft picks, having the number one pick overall like Dallas did when he took over. Jimmy was in college when you were at, at Colorado. He was at Oklahoma State, obviously, and then Miami. Is there some parallels here, or is it just way way off? Uh, yeah, I mean, you you could draw some parallels, um, but having all those draft choices gets you a chance to build the way you want it. And I assume Jimmy had a lot of control there in Miami, uh, but I, and I think that uh, I know that Urban's going to have a lot of control. So yeah, probably a, a decent uh, analogy comparison. Yeah, go get some uh, some more skittles, Coach. Take take that right. uh, take that next hole. All right. <laughs> Talk to you, Chris. Take care. Appreciate him, Gary Barnett, taking off uh, a par five to do a radio interview. No, not a par Bless five. It was heart. a par four. I, he said five hundred yard par four. So he said he wanted to avoid it. <laughs> okay. I am sorry about the the chirping there. I don't know why I dropped out. I'm plugged in here so thanks well, like, to him and you for navigating that yeah you started on your question and i was like it's gonna be a good one and then you, you dropped down i was like do, do i jump in here and just try to try to see what chris was going for for this question or maybe he comes no. back but you came back and i thought that was a, a great interview it's good to hear from him 
He's the best, man. Coach Barnett's awesome. Good for him golfing. 73 and no clouds in the sky. I love doing the weather update with uh, with Coach Barnett. Good stuff on urban. Good stuff on special teams. Uh, your demeanor. Really good interview with Rutledge from Mitch Sherman on The Athletic. You want to check that out. Uh, we'll talk to Brandon Vogel next from Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Great stuff from Gary Barnett. That'll be on demand, ESPNLincoln.com. Also, get the entire podcast for Hale Varsity Radio six days a week on the Heard at uh, podcast platform. One of my favorite podcasters uh, and, of course, writers and managing editor and author with John Cook. Dream Like a Champion, the book you can pick up, uh, hardback or uh, paperback. Brandon Vogel with us at Brandon L. Vogel. Vogues, what's up, man? Been a crazy busy week. How are you? Oh, doing pretty well. It has been a, has been a crazy week. I kind of expected it to be a January like this, I thought, but uh, didn't know if it was all going to come in an avalanche, which, which is kind of what we got this week. Well, if you can, if you can avoid being uh, swept up in the avalanche, that's great. I, I'm wondering here. Let's start with special teams. Like, there's there's a pecking order we've got to get through. Special teams is Nebraska. Okay, Nebraska's brought one guy that was Dewitt with them, and it was two and through with that. Okay, then you go hire an analyst. Didn't work, and you, you have Rutledge saying, "Look, uh, different philosophies, right?" We, we've seen that quote, and Rutledge is this pretty high energy, in-your-face kind of guy, and he's he's moving on. And there was not performance. Now, had Cherney not gotten hurt, maybe the punting's better. But long and short, your return game wasn't good, and it's hard to to be hands off with this. Do you think Nebraska is going to make the same? And I'm not calling Rutledge a mistake, but the the expecting the analyst to be the answer for special teams was. Do they learn from that, or do they go back that route, or do you think they they assign it somewhere else on staff, or God forbid, there's a staff change or move? Do they go hire some some of the names that have been floating out there? Where A, B, or C? What door are you picking? Yeah, it's um, it's it, it's hard to say uh, it, specifically with you know bringing in an analyst. Which I remember last year, well, around this time last year when that happened, uh, and, and then Derek Peterson's done a good job of writing about it more recently. Like Rutledge's career track really was kind of a two-year flip, and it was it was remarkably mm-hmm. consistent no matter where he went. Whereas teams got a little bit better, uh, special teams got a little bit better in that year one, and then took a big jump in year two. Uh, and for Nebraska to kind of pull the plug, as you know, there's no guarantee that was going to happen again. Um, it was just kind of the trajectory. So for Nebraska to pull that, the plug that early, more than – because I think Nebraska's special teams got a little bit better um, in a couple of spots. There were still some high-profile spots mm-hmm. where you just wondered, like, is this how Rutledge would do it if you were a full-time coach, like if he had total control, if he could be on the field, all that stuff. Um, like honestly, my first thought at today's news was thinking, I was like, does that mean they're, you know, does that mean someone else is is close to to making a move? And, and I don't know. It was just a guess, but it was the first thing because I don't think just reassigning that 
feels like the right solution for, for what they need to do and where they need to go. Um, so is it a matter of they feel like they might have an opening uh, where they have to go look at somebody or they already are vetting people where part of those duties include special teams? That almost seems, so I guess that's Dorsey, uh, mm-hmm. seems like the most likely option, but I just don't know. You know, we've got no indication that anything like that's coming to this point. Brandon Vogel with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, obviously the Jonathan Rutledge news was huge today, but it wasn't even the big news uh, or the biggest news of the day uh, relating to the team because uh, a name we've all been waiting to hear from, uh, Will Honus, indicated that he's going to be back for another year next year for the Huskers. What, what do you make of what that means for the defense and for the inside backers next year? Yeah, pretty big. Um, he was out of all of the of the four seniors that have you know announced they're coming back, and all all four have been on defense, which is perhaps notable in itself. He was the one that I thought was maybe the most the most likely. Um, so, just because of kind of you know missing that year, and you know Will Holmes really bet on himself going to JUCO straight out of high school, and it paid off with that with that Nebraska offer. And then he got hurt right away and wasn't able to kind of – he just he just lost a year there. And so even though he's been in, in college for a while, being able to make that up, I think being able to build on the progress that he's made so far um, is a pretty big deal. I mean, if you just look at this from a statistical standpoint, which is how I start looking at it as I start putting together things for the yearbook in terms of returning production, all four of Nebraska's leading tacklers this year were, were seniors – all four had the option to come back through this this crazy circumstance, and now all four of them are. So there's there's no way that's a bad thing. I, I think there will still be some some pretty fierce competition at a couple of those spots, maybe particularly at safety, uh, and that's good. Um, just having that veteran experience and knowing you've had guys who have played in games before and made plays in those games before is, you know, y- you can't replace that no matter how good the talent is coming up behind them. Vogues, as you look at different teams around the West, and, and three really stick out to me, Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern, they are so buttoned up with their special teams. It is good for a win or two per season in a close ball game. They are, they are All three of those programs do it well. And if they lose, it's probably to one another, right, in a close ball game. What, what's the organization like as you've – either talk to, to, to other folks locked into those rival programs or just as you's, you've observed and done some statistical research, why, why is it such a Grand Canyon size, at least feel, from Nebraska to Iowa and special teams or Nebraska to Wisconsin or just Northwestern in general? Because, you know, Elijah and I were talking about this earlier in the week. You know, there's a real possibility where, you know, if Nebraska gets to a bowl game next season, it's because your your special teams is really really good and your defense carries you. Offense can can be, hopefully be better if you're a Nebraska fan, but you know Northwestern's found two out of the three last seasons to, to win with defense and special teams and not screw it up on offense. Huh? What what are the differences with those three programs in Nebraska? Is my question. Yeah, I I, I think the really the biggest difference might be just how those teams choose to play. And they're, they're pretty, they're certainly more, uh, I, I would guess conservative would be the word I would choose offensively. I mean, we know, we know what those teams are like. They're going to grind, grind drives out. They're going to run the ball. They're going to, 
They're going to be super physical, um, it, which isn't to say, you know, the spread offense has touched every every college football program in the country. Everyone incorporates elements of it this time. It's not, you know, just Neander ball there. I'm not trying to say that, but <laughs> it, it's certainly kind of an older style, uh, you know, a more, a more physical approach. And Nebraska came in, you know, that's not what they did at UCF. That wasn't the hope. That wasn't the goal. Um, you adjust as you learn things about your new league and, and find out where you need to go. But that style of offense lends itself also to like a little bit of a more conservative, I think, special teams approach, which is not where the data really points you to. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you watch, well, the national championship game on, on Twitter, people are going nuts when Ohio State settles for a field goal or when they punt inside their own territory. Like we've come far enough to know that those decisions, like the numbers don't totally support them. But when you're a team like Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, like they're pretty comfortable still playing that way because they're just playing kind of a, an, a little bit of an older game where like, Hey, we feel great about our defense in a lot of ways. We're built on those defenses uh, specifically in, in terms of Iowa and Northwestern where making you drive 90 yards is almost a dead drive. Like, yeah, it looks like we're giving up the ball at a spot where you shouldn't, but we know we almost know with 80 to 90% certainty, we're going to get it back. And Nebraska's just not built that way yet, which doesn't mean they can't be can't be good on special teams. Um, I, I think you look back to those UCF teams, and they were really dynamic. Like they got big plays that way too. That's probably still more the model, but it's it's so so important when you look at the the number of one scored games that Nebraska has played over the past three years. Like if you just had even above average special teams over the course of those three years, how many more of those do you win? I mean, you might win. It might only be one win a year, but one win a year would feel pretty big right now with with Nebraska sitting at, you know, 12 wins through three seasons. Mm -hmm. Vogues, a thought uh, as uh, we wind down, are you buying – or selling or holding stock in Urban Meyer in Jacksonville once that gets finalized? Hmm. Probably hold just because the the history of of these high profile college coaches, it, it's not a slam dunk. Like hiring coaches is hard. I'm super intrigued by it though, because with with how Meyer's career unfolded, you know, with, with some of the health concerns and it didn't really seem like, who knows, uh, but it, it didn't seem like getting, jumping back into recruiting and all of that requires uh, with both feet was, was really in the cards for him or what he wanted at least. I'm sure he could still do it. Um, so the, the NFL, like it's not that there's not, you know, personnel and intra-team issues to deal with there, but it's just not quite the personnel management that it is, uh, I think, at the college level. Um, you still got to build teams and all of that. So in, in some ways, it really puts the focus on football. And Urban Meyer is a really great football coach. Uh, when I think about the NFL, that's kind of what it highlights is like, this is a little bit more of just ball instead of having to manage, you know, 18 and 19 year olds. So I'm, I'm interested in it from, from that perspective. I'm a little, I was a little bit surprised, even though everyone kind of kept hinting that this was coming. So. I, I'm intrigued. Let's let's see what it's like when Urban Meyer can focus 
just solely on the football instead of, you know, the drudgery of landing top five class after top five class. <laughs> Poor guy. Brandon, we got about a minute left here, so I'm going to give you quick thoughts on this. But do you think that this is Urban Meyer trying to one-up Nick Saban and say, you couldn't make it work in the NFL? Well, guess what? I, I won these national championships. Now I'm going to go make it work in the NFL. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I, I don't think you make that move with at least – without at least an eye towards towards legacy to kind of challenge yourself and, and see if you can do it because what what Nick Saban has done at the college level is going to be extremely, extremely hard, almost impossible to beat. Like I don't know that Urban Meyer is going to coach long enough at, at any level, though who knows, you can coach for a long time. But at any level to even kind of challenge that. So so, yeah, the college path for this era certainly is kind of locked off. Like, it's Saban, and if we want to talk about guys from the past, we can talk about guys from the past. So I think there's there's at least a, a little bit of validity to that idea. Brandon Vogel with us. Vogues will get caught up on Saturday morning, the weekend edition. Appreciate your time. Great chat today. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thank you. Brandon Vogel with us, uh, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. At Brandon L. Vogels, where you find him on Twitter. We'll uh, step away and then have our best bet segment. Danny Burke, Brian of Chicago with the VEASAN Sports Network, is next. Some thoughts on the NFL playoffs this weekend, who Danny Burke likes. Tale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back to you, Tale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It is that time the Pride of Chicago checks in. Burke's best bets. Danny Burke with us and Pride of Chicago, brother. How you been on? Uh, you been on the desert for a little bit. How are you? I'm doing good, Schmitty. That's right. Just uh, heading back here, you know, checking out the uh, new casino circuit with our new studio built there with the world's largest sports book. Got a nice swimming deck on the rooftop. Uh, had to move my things going back to Chicago, of course. But, uh, you know, I've been there with the show and whatnot, but now permanently getting settled there. So it's been good, man. You know, just uh, saying bye to Sin City for now and getting adjusted to the cold. It's going to be sad that I can't go to work with my windows down in January. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers, Schmitty. Well, brother, you're you're wintering in Vegas. Of course, the work you do with the VEASAN Sports Network at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter is where you find him. Your nightly show in Chicago, Rush Hour, and uh, awesome success. So how have, how's the, how'd the first weekend of, of NFL playoffs treat you? You know, it, it was up and down because the one bet I had on just the game straight up, I did a teaser, and that was teasing down the Bills and teasing down the Bucks. Now, I love to talk about teasers, not only on my show, but I've done it plenty of times throughout your show. And, and usually the spots that are historically successful, you do home favorites of just over seven points, so you tease them down through the key numbers of seven and three, and then either home or road dogs of about plus one and a half to plus two and a half and you tease them up through the key numbers of three and seven. But this was kind of an aberration because it's the playoffs, and, you know, you kind of just take things a little bit differently, whereas, you know, I teased down Tampa Bay when they were a road favorite, and then the Bills were only a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. But I think you can do that differently in the postseason, at least in my mind, because of how smaller the slate is. you got to take advantage of the opportunities when you see them. So that's the teaser that I did. Uh, We had a couple of props that I didn't hit on, unfortunately. J.K. Dobbins over his rushing yards. Didn't get there, and that's one I can live with. But the one that was a bad beat, in my opinion, Schmitty, I had James Conner over 46 and a half uh, rushing yards. 
he missed it by 10. But, I mean, there was no chance when they're down 28-0. You know, they're not going to run the ball. But if that's a normal game, in my mind, we're hitting that. So that's just – that one kind of stings a little bit. You're, you're not kidding. Uh, you, you are a thousand – if that's a normal game. And I turned the, I turned it on, I'm like, oh, my God. Because I thought – I thought Pittsburgh could do their thing. And that's nothing against Cleveland. But – Man, uh, you want to talk about uh, ma- making your own breaks with with the turnovers and the conversion? Uh, let's uh, go ahead. I had a gut. I mean, my house was on fire because I got two Seahawk fans I live with, and and you know we we ran out of bars of soap. I'll just say that for Junior <laughs> because Seattle was a nightmare. And I said, you know what? I just I had this gut. I said this Friday, L.A. Man, L.A. I I feel good about the Rams. I love their offense. Right. Um, their run game was going, and, and, of course, their defense was incredible. Now let's go to Green Bay. Now let's talk about uh, this weekend. Minus six and a half, Aaron Rodgers. Do the Rams have enough D to slow down this Packer offense? And can the Rams get enough offense? What do you What do you like about this ball game? I mean, you nailed the points perfectly. For me, it's how much can you limit Aaron Rodgers? It's going to have to be the bend-don't-break mentality with this defense that's arguably the best in the league, Schmitty. But, you know, I, I think it's just only a matter of time for the presumed MVP Aaron Rodgers to where he's going to find the end zone. Him and Devontae Adams are going to have his connection. And, you know, the narrative is always the lack of weapons that Aaron Rodgers has, but you haven't heard as much chatter about that throughout the season because he's looked so good and has done exceptional with what he's had. So, you know, the Rams, the Rams are going to get their stops. It's going to happen. It's not going to be the same Packers offense that's probably putting up 35 points or whatever it is, but I think it's going to be enough to win the game. And just like we talked about with teasing down teams, mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect opportunity to do so with Green Bay if you're not comfortable laying the six and a half. It is under the key number of seven, so if I'm playing the game straight up, honestly, I'd still lean toward Green Bay because I just, offensively, I just really don't trust Los Angeles in this spot. And Green Bay's defense isn't anything spectacular, but they should be able to do enough to limit that offense. But like I said, I think the safest bet in my mind would be to tease down the Packers and look to pair with another team. I'm just wondering if Akers can go ball control. He was he was phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ravens, Bills. How about uh, Baltimore, man? What a what a comeback and win over Tennessee. Bills look great. They had a tight one against the Colts. Minus two and a half here in Buffalo. What do you say? This one's fascinating to me, and this one intrigues me the most, like last week when it was the Ravens and the Titans, because, look, Baltimore had a tough season, honestly, whenever they faced a really solid team. And, and people got their hopes up with them because the end of their schedule, like the last five games, were very, very cupcake. And, look, credit to them. They came out and dominated. They didn't dominate, I guess you could say, but they did enough to win the game against Tennessee. Now it's obviously a tough matchup against Buffalo. And, you know, I, I think it looks like the public, honestly, and a lot of people are leaning toward taking the points with Baltimore here. I think that could be a little bit recency bias. It's nothing against the Bills, but more that people are like, okay, this Baltimore team is looking like what they were supposed to be in the playoffs last year. But when it comes down to it, who are you trusting more with the, with the ball in their hands at this point? It's got to be Josh Allen, who probably isn't getting as much talk in the MVP conversation as he should be. And this Bills defense has been picking it up toward the latter half of the year. Baltimore's had a great defense all throughout the season, but I do lean a little bit toward Buffalo here, especially if you get it under the key number of three. I think this could be a spot where you take advantage of that just because of the streak that Baltimore's been on. If they're looking shaky like they were really before those last five games, and we'd be 
having a much different conversation. So I think you take advantage of the premium price with Buffalo. Danny Burke is with us. Burke's best bets. He's with Vizen at Danny Burke five on Twitter. Couple minutes here. Browns and Chiefs at number at minus ten. A thought on that one. Tampa and uh, Saints. Uh, Tampa has not beaten anybody great this year, but man, uh, it's still Tom Brady. It's still Sue. It's still Levante. Yeah, you know, and, and really quick for that Chiefs and Browns game, this one I honestly don't have too much interest in just because it's kind of an awkward spot here because you know what happened against the Steelers is not going to happen against the Chiefs. And the Browns have dealt with so much adversity this season, so it's really hard to handicap. But at the same time, the Chiefs really haven't dominated any team except for the Ravens early on. So, you know, to late 10, especially in the postseason with this Chiefs team, that's a tough call. So I think I lean a little bit toward Cleveland. Like I said, I don't think I'm going to be betting it. In terms of the Tampa Bay game, I would look to tease them up. That's probably who I would pair with the Packers, if anything. Uh, you get them as a dog in the spot. And honestly, my it seems kind of weird to say because they're not really a dark horse, but more for the value pick, the team that I talked about the most about, I don't know, at the beginning of December to win the NFC Championship. I had the Bucks at about 7-1 in the Saints because the Saints at the time were the favorite. I thought they'd meet up in the NFC Championship. Mm-hmm. Look, this Tampa Bay team overall is probably built the best, in my opinion. It's just what coaching are you going to get from Arians, and can that offense get going immediately? If we see the same offense that took advantage of a great defense in Washington, I think Tampa Bay is a great shot to win this one outright. So I would tease them up the pair with the Packers, would also take the points and obviously consider sprink, uh, sprinkling a little bit on the money line because I think Tampa Bay is the overall better team. Danny Burks with us. Hail Varsity Radio, Burks Best Bets uh, with Beeson and, and Danny Burke 5, his show Rush Hour, weeknights across the country. Danny, about 15 seconds, did you clean up on Bama? <laughs> you know, Schmitty, originally I, I had to represent for the Big Ten, so I just put a little bit on Ohio State. Nothing too significant because I didn't have that greatest feel. But I did take a little in-game action on the Crimson Tide when it was pretty evident what was going to happen. Yeah, and the overs uh, were were beautiful, as they say, so good enough. Danny Burke is with us, Burke's Best Bets. Follow him on Twitter at Danny Burke 5, his show Rush Hour on VEASAN and uh, the iHeartMedia app. Danny, be good. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Schmitty. Talk soon. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, and just a uh, heads-up blizzard warning for Lancaster County and uh, a number of um, spots in Eastern Nebraska. How's that grab you? Elijah, you like scraping the windshield? Uh, no. Uh, I have become the de facto shoveler around my house, and that anytime it snows, I will be the one stuck out shoveling the sidewalks and the uh, the driveway, but it's okay because I usually will get off dish duty for the night. So, See, that's pretty good. Now, do you have to, to police it, or is everybody good about being an adult, even though you're young adults, and, and just handling your business, or do you have to kind of harp on somebody? Um, my former roommates, um, well, we, we kicked two out cause they weren't very good about it, but now we have just, it's just three of us living at our place now. And so uh, you kicked two guys out just because they were dudes. Well, sloppy. One of them was really sloppy. And then the other one, 
uh just kept on bringing his girlfriend around. We we weren't like it wasn't that we we disliked her, but it was just she wasn't paying rent and she was always there. And we're like, all right, man, it's uh, pick pick the girlfriend or pick your roommates. And I mean, he he probably made the right choice and picked his girlfriend. Um, so now he's that was kind of like a half kick out, half move out type of thing. So he's 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 gone now. But you now us three, we're we're pretty good. Um, and, and it's nice in that they'll see you the the your guy. You, you kicked your dude out for bringing his girlfriend. She like she didn't leave and she didn't pay rent. Like, I mean, I'd come home. Was she and, like, okay to have around or, or not? Oh, she wasn't bad. No, it was just like every time I came home, I was like, oh, you're here? Why are you here? Like, your boyfriend's not even here. Like, no, none of the other roommates are uh, here. You're, you're alone so in this she house. Was just like, she was chilling just, in the house yeah, with no one around. And then it reached a point where just like, I, it's getting a little uncomfortable here. Like, I, I don't like walking in expecting like an empty house. And then there's just some girl sitting in the living room. And like, I, I mean... Still talk to her. We're still friends, but like, I, I didn't want her to be my roommate. Gotcha, Elijah Herbal, iron-fisted landlord. <laughs> uh, let's uh, get you an update here with buckling up. You're going to need to do it with uh, the weather that's looming, but you need to do it anyway. Nearly seventy percent of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska are not wearing seatbelts. If used properly. A seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Are you in tonight for the uh, Southwest game? You know I'm in tonight for the Southwest game. And then tomorrow I'm on KFOR with you, I think, again. For Southeast and uh, Grand Island. So, yes, to me back, and back Coach to Jeff back. Smith will have the call tonight. With Fremont and Southwest at 720 pregame. Uh, one score we did not predict on best bets. Juniors uh, Y ball team absolutely annihilated the the kids they played last Saturday. Uh, our dear friend Jill, Jaybird's wife, uh, Facebook lived it because only one parent can go. And oh. yeah, they they were up at one point forty to two. So Junior's team covered last week. We're tentatively setting the line at YMCA 8th grade basketball for this Saturday at minus 21 and a half. If, if I remember anything from uh, my one year playing YMCA basketball, which I think was 7th grade or 8th grade or something mm-hmm. like that, um, is that every single week is a new opponent. Every single week uh, you're going to have uh, an opponent that's a lot different than the week before. So uh, give Junior my well wishes uh, on his game this weekend. I said hi to him as he came up the stairs. He said, do your job. Back at you tomorrow at 4. Thanks. Basketball later at 7.20.